What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week we have the Spider-Man, Larry McBride, on the show. Larry, what's going on? Oh, man, just sitting here in this beautiful Virginia weather right now, just having a ball working on a golf cart. <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about that a little bit in the pre-show, and I think that that, uh, that that just drives the point home that racers can never leave anything stock, right? Even down to our golf carts, they have to be highly modified in some way everything we do has to be modified i mean it i mean from a from my bicycle that i ride all the way to my golf cart to my motorcycle to my cars you know to my house it's crazy the things that racers do it's a mindset you just you look at something and it's like these these gears start turning and you think how can i change this to you know do x y and z and then the next thing you know, you're falling down a YouTube rabbit hole to learn how to modify golf carts or, you know, God knows what else. Oh, yeah. Thank God for YouTube these days. That's for sure. Oh. Um, especially with these new vehicles that we have on the road today. You know, if you don't go to if you don't go to YouTube, you don't know how to work anything. I always joke with people that I'm a YouTube certified mechanic, photo expert and armorer because I've learned everything I need to know how to mess with my cars, guns and cameras on YouTube. Oh, it's you, you, well, you said it all in, in just a little bit because YouTube, I'm a, we're pretty good YouTube experts also. So if you can't, if you can't find something, you know, you, you, you go to eBay. If you can't find out how to do it, you go to YouTube. So it's, uh, um, you know, and some of the stuff is good and some, not, some of it's bad. So you got to make sure you weed out the bad so you get the good. Now, I, when I wanted to get you on this show, I started thinking about, you know, how do you approach somebody like you in my, you know, just, I, I know enough about the motorcycle racing world to be dangerous. And what I know is that like, you're one of those people that's like a marquee name and, you know, legend of everything. Like when you talk about crazy fast motorcycles, you're usually the, you know, people always say, well, I remember seeing Spider-Man do this, do that. So I kind of want to, before we start talking about modifying motorcycles and everything else, I want to kind of get your story, man. You know, what, how did you get into to racing motorcycles in this, in this whole crazy lifestyle? Well, you know, it, uh, you know, I've been doing it 44 years, so I don't know if the show's that long, but I'll just cut it short and tell you a quick deal. I actually started out motocross racing and, um, then I went from motocross racing to dirt drags. And uh, I run, actually run Nitro Harleys in the dirt for several years. And then in, uh, in, in uh, 1978 was my first year ever on an asphalt bike. So I rode a, uh, actually a supercharged Harley. And, uh, and in 1980, I started riding for a guy named Danny Johnson. And uh, in 83, we won the, uh, 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 the Atlanta Atlanta race, you know, the NHR Atlanta race, um, in 1983. And then, cause we was a class then in NHRA all the way up to about, um, oh, I guess somewhere in the nineties. Um, uh, I think 94 is the last year that we was a class in NHRA. It was 93 or 94. And, um, we just kept running the motorcycle organizations and my brother and I, um, you know, We've, uh, we've always built our own bikes. Now, in 1985, actually, I bought a bike from Vance and Hines, uh, bought the bike at Terry Vance Road. And then, of course, we redid that, and then we just started building our own. And uh, we basically turned Top Fuel Motorcycles into a, you know, a business for us here at the shop because um, that's what we like to do. We, do we, we used to do a lot of street bikes and things like that here at the shop, but we don't do that near as much now because uh, we just love the top fuel stuff so much and the nitro and um, just, you know, building our own stuff. You know, once you, you know, you start building chassis and then when you get all the stuff done and you look back and you say, wow, this thing is a nice piece. And then now you want to build another one because you want to make it nicer. Um, you know, I'm sitting here right now with one, two, three. I got four top fuel bikes in my shop right now. And, uh, you know, all of them in different stages of being, you know, one, I'm building a new one for a guy over in New Zealand. I just finished one for a guy in Florida. Um, and then I've got my, then I got two of mine here. Uh, my original, one of my originals is here 
and um, then my brand new one that, that that we built that we've been racing that's been really setting all the records. We've just um, um, you know completely redesigned how the thing works and just kind of following the car guys. I'm uh, real good friends with you know Bobby Logano and um, you know Richard Hogan. You know just goes on and on with all of the um, you know Dave Grubnick and um, you know. Uh, Jimmy Proc and I mean, just goes on. I know all the guys. So we just kind of try to follow what the top fuel guys are doing with a motorcycle. And, um, boy, the dividends has really paid off, you know, for us. And we're just, um, looking forward to a bunch of stuff. We are working with NHRA right now on some stuff for next year. And it looks like it's going to all work out pretty good. You mentioned something, you know, kind of tying together, you know, you talked about your racing career and, you know, building new bikes. How do you even like dream up or develop, you know, changes to a nitro powered motorcycle? Because like nitro powered cars, four doors, you know, just nitro anything is crazy. But I, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea of racing a nitro motorcycle What's it been like, you know, basically, I guess for lack of better terms, you know, almost starting out in the Stone Age and being a part of this big trip, you know, what, what's it been like developing these bikes over the years? Oh, God, it's so hard to put it in words because we've got to work with so many great people. And, uh, you know, my my mentor was Elmer Trapp that unfortunately he lost his life back in 96 at the U.S. Nationals along with, you know, Blaine Johnson, which is uh, – he was also a good friend of mine, Alan Johnson and them, but, but it didn't, you know, his wife inspired me, uh, Elmer's wife inspired me to keep the class alive and keep going. And it's just so neat to be able to, uh, dream up new things. And my brother is the brains behind all of this. I'm the writer. I do a lot of the work. I build the engines and things like that, but my brother and my crew, I have a great guy, John Dixon. I work with some great people. Bill Miller Engineering and all these guys that I work with, they always come up with new ideas. And uh, then my brother, he's a tool and die maker by trade, and he can see things that that average person won't see. And then we just go in there and change it. You know, sometimes we, you know, sometimes we say, okay, we got to cut the back half off of this chassis to do what we got to do. So you just you know, do what you got to do to fix it, to, to make it, um, you know, go, go quicker and faster. And, um, that's what we do. I mean, it's, uh, nitro bikes, you know, or, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to put it in words. They're the most awesomest, if you, you know, the three, the thrill ride, they ain't a roller coaster in the world like this. So it's, uh, um, it's just one of the things that we love to do. And, um, I'm the type of person is you, we only live once and you just need to chase your dream. If you got a dream, you know, keep chasing it. And, um, you know, that's what I would tell all the kids out there. You, you got to chase your dream and, uh, do the best you can to make it come true. You know, it, it, when you see, I always joke them, like, you can tell a difference between a pro stock motorcycle racer and a nitro anything two-wheel racer because the pro stock race bike racers look the part they look they're 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 jockey size they're smaller but then you see the nitro racers and you guys to me the word that comes to mind is just it's gladiator you know they're big people with big personalities and like the things you do are, are just on a different level i think compared to most drag racers you know, is that the kind of mentality you have to have to, to throw a leg over one of these things that you just have to be ready, like you said, to take the adventure ride and just want to do it? You know, yeah. And I want to, you know, and, and we do it, you know, not trying to pat ourselves on the back, but I probably have one of the safest motorcycles that's ever been built. You know, I run all the safety stuff just like NHRA guys do. And um, so I feel real confident. And what happens with people is you have to have respect for the motorcycle. You know, I'm going on 44 years. Have I been hurt? Yeah, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt more in your grass. I mean, we, we, we just don't ever know. So there's a, 
there's sometimes I think, well, you know, I'll be 65 in January. Should I stop this? Right. But I still love it. And I'm still in really good shape. I, um, you know, take care of myself. I'm, I'm one of them thin guys, you know, I, uh, some of the, some of my buddies that run Harleys, they're a little bit larger than us. Um, but they're awesome people, you know, they're, um, um, and there, and there's guys out there that probably shouldn't be riding them either. You know, that, uh, it's a dream because they're a lot harder to ride than what people think they are. Oh, I can imagine. So, um, it's, um, I think experience and respect and knowing that the throttle works both ways, um, you know, you know, helps you a lot. And in, in, in my case is, you know, if you're, if you get in trouble, sometimes you carry, you want to, you know, especially if you're racing somebody, you'll, you'll tend to carry it sometimes a little further than you should. Uh, and that's with car racers, anybody racing. And, you know, I just think that we should all live our lives to the fullest and do what you want to do and, uh, you know, try to take care of yourself and try to be safe um, as you can. And my theory behind it is we're actually safer than anybody that rides on the street at 268 miles an hour that we've got the record at. I'm probably safer on the drag strip than a guy riding his street bike at 30 miles an hour. Um, I'm not dealing with nobody on cell phones. I'm not dealing with nobody making new turns. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not people that can't judge the distance of one headlight that pulls out in front of you. And, and, and I guess the reason I love, cause I haven't ridden, I don't even ride on the street at all. I haven't ridden in several years. I ain't gonna say I don't test ride somebody's bike occasionally, but as far as going out for a long ride, I don't. Um, I think I've just been in the business so long. Um, and I can see what I see, what happens on the street. And I see how cars don't have a lot of respect sometimes for remote motorcycles. And maybe I should use respect. They don't see them. They misjudge the distance because of the one headlight or um, they just misjudge the distance. And that's, and that's what happens. So that's what I don't have to deal with, you know, and I've got a professional staff at the racetrack. I've got everything you would ever want there that if something happened, you got the best people there to help take care of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I had unfortunately had to see that firsthand at the NMCA finals when a racer had a really bad wreck. And when you, as a racer, when you see something like that, my first instinct was based on where the crash happened at the top end. Don't know when safety crew is going to get there. I took off running in my fire suit, just booking it. And I'm like, you know, I got to get here, maybe try to help this guy depending on, you know, what's going on. But before I even got to the wall, the safety crews were there already hopping out and hopping on their side of the wall to get over there and help. And I think that that's something that a lot of people tend to forget is just how important that safety factor really is at the track. Oh God. I mean, the first thing everybody should do is, you know, you get to a track. The first thing you should do is go up and see what kind of ambulance, you know, do you, do you got EMTs there or do you just got, uh, or you got paramedics, right? So you want to make sure you got the best. You want to make sure you got the best. And you want to know what you what's there in case something happens to you. You want to inspect the track. You want to make sure the track has no openings, no guardrails, or you want concrete walls. You know, there's just so many things now that, that you want to do. And if they don't have that, and they don't have the right medical staff there, then my suggestion would be not to race there. Nope, put it in the box and leave. Yep, and, and yeah, because just don't even unload because, you know, and I learned that from uh, listening, and, and I know you know who this is, not Brickle, but um, uh, God, he put down a lot of YouTube videos. Tim um, McCamus. Tim McCamus. He says it all. If you go up, the first thing you should do when you get there is go to the ambulance people. See what kind of people, what kind of ambulance do we have? Are we paramedics or are we EMTs? Okay, so you want the best. Sometimes you'll have a paramedic and an EMT, which is good. But you always want to make sure you got the right medical staff. And 
that's what makes it so nice about running the NHRA is not only do we have a great medical staff there, they also have a doctor there um, that that is awesome to have. You know, um, uh, same thing at your NASCAR stuff. You know, they have doctors. They have, and, and that's what you've got to watch out. And because sometimes when you get injured, it's you know life threatening. If you ain't got the right people there, you know you could pass away. If you got the right people there, you could still pass away, but your chances are going to be a whole lot better than they would be if you didn't have them there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and having the right safety equipment on, you know, some people say, oh, God, man, I ain't going to pay no $400 for a pair of gloves. Why not? I mean, I would. I mean, I did. I do. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to try to wear the best helmet, the best snail-approved helmet, and, the, you know, the best fire, you know, uh, protection stuff that I can wear underneath my leathers and try to make everything as safe as you possibly can. And, uh and accidents still happen, but as long as you try to keep it to a minimum of happening as far as having the right safety gear on. And kind of working off of that, you know, you were quick to point out before we started the call that what you ride is not a top fuel Harley, correct? Right, it's not. My my motorcycle is a is an inline four-cylinder uh, supercharged on your own nitro um you know we basically our bike is basically set up similar to a top fuel car you know we run the same kind of magnetos we run similar same type of clutch we just took a top fuel car clutch and made it smaller uh, we run all of the safety equipment that the cars does the same type of computers that they use um not that the harleys don't do too they run a lot of the safety equipment also but they're a v-twin they're a motor that turns approximately 5,000 RPMs, most of them. My bike would turn 11,000 RPM. Massive difference. A massive difference. The bikes are bigger, bigger, heavier, you know, and you know, you know, where most of your Harleys are running anywhere from a, uh, you take Bobby Malloy, for instance, I think he's got the record around a 608 or something like that. You know, and we run it down into the fives, you know, I have the record at 550. So, uh, the bikes make more power, um, uh, because we're supercharged and where the Harleys are injected, you know, they're more like a, they're more like a, a fuel car. Yeah. Um, now some of them, you got like Jay Turner right now, that's built a supercharged Harley. He's still working out a lot of the bugs, trying to get it to work, but it's a, a Harley's a weird motor to make work on a supercharger. So. Uh, just, just, just the way they fire and just the way the motor characteristics are in a Harley. Um, that's why you see them guys, you know, always start them up off of the motorcycle, right? Because <laughs> they can cough and blow a cylinder off of them, right? They got, you, you know, and I like my Harleys and I, and I would like to build a top fuel Harley to run, you know, with, with these guys, but, uh, I don't see that happening in my, you know, in my career now, I'm going to stay with what I know. Uh, but I still support all of them guys because I think they do a great job. And um, some of them scare the hell out of me a lot of times, but um, I want them to get their feet on the pegs, you know, so they don't, so they're just not dangling. But um, they're still impressive, still impressive. The first time I watched the Nitro Harley run, I, I saw the dude putting on, you know, literally ballistic body armor. And I was yes. like, why are they doing that? And they had to explain the whole, you know, if this thing goes kerbang, they are on top of the kerbang. And at that point, I checked out. I said, you know what? I will gladly watch these gentlemen do what they want to do what they're doing. But I'm I'm good. I do not want to lay on top of a bomb. No. And that's and, you know, and the Harleys are more we're more apt to burn pistons and valves and a Harley's more apt to push the cylinder, you know, they'll, they'll blow head gaskets, blow cylinder heads off and just with one little sneeze. But you know, you're, you're, you're talking where they're running a five inch bore motor and, you know, we're running up, you know, uh, you know, we are running, uh, you know, three, three and uh, three, a little over three inch bore, three and a quarter inch bore motor. Um, you know, with a 70 mil stroke and they're running five, you know, 
five, five and a quarter inch strokes. And, you know, you get all that nitro in the cylinder and then you compress that thing. Woo. It can blow up a lot of stuff. You know, kind of like an A fuel car, yeah. you know, you know, a fuel car, you know, people don't realize it, but you know, an A fuel car is, um, very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing with an A fuel car. Um, and I'm sure you, you know, just by backing the motors down because they got so much compression, if they don't clear them things properly, you know, get all the lines dried, they could, you can literally, you know, nitro will fire under just a compression, right? Yeah. You, know, with, you compress it, it'll blow up. And same thing happens with the Harleys. Uh, you just got to make sure everything's cleared out. We're, our stuff is a little more forgiving, like a top fuel car. As far as starting them, um, you know, once we have to, we have to clear ours just like a car does, and all the stuff. But it, we're a lot less likely. If you make a stupid mistake, yes, you can still blow them up in the pits. But as long as you follow all of the, you know, from A to Z rules, then you're going to be okay. And same thing with a fuel car. Same thing with a Harley. But some of the people that you get sometimes are not um, been around nitro all their life. So they don't really know how dangerous nitro is um, uh, when it's under, especially when it's under pressure um, for setting a drum of fuel, a drum of fuel sitting around is, you know, it's not dangerous at all. I mean, you could literally throw a match in and it won't light, but you put it under pressure, it'll blow everything up, you know, so what was it like the first time you started riding a bike like the one you, you have now? Because I'm assuming you probably, of course, started out on something a little bit smaller and different. Then you, you step up to a level like this. What's it, What was it like the first time you were going to make a pass on one of these supercharged bikes? Well, I tell you, it was crazy. The first time I ever made a run on a supercharged bike was U.S. Nationals, 1980. I was riding for this guy, Danny Johnson, out of Yatkinville, North Carolina. He had just crashed that bike two weeks prior to the U.S. Nationals at Fremont. You might still remember Fremont, California. Oh, yeah. And he had crashed that thing, and it skinned him up and hurt him pretty good. Well, he called him. Uh, he called me, wanted to know if I would be interested in riding. And I said, sure. So we went to the U.S. Nationals, and I'd never, ever sat on the bike, and I qualified fourth, and that's back when, you know, we had a full field of bikes. I qualified fourth and went, wow, I love this, right? And then I ended up um, going to the uh, finals and ended up runner-up at U.S. Nationals in, in 1980, so on my very first race. So it was uh, – that's how it started, and uh, it was just a love from that. And I raced for this guy for two more years, and – he was an extremely good rider, so I got to learn. You know, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot. And uh, and then Elmer Trett just taught me so much more in not only riding, but uh, the functions of the top fuel motorcycle, how the fuel systems worked and how you could make things better. He was just a um, a great innovator in his his deal and in his in his uh, career and in his time and we just became best friends and um, and it's all about the mechanical stuff, making this part stronger, better, faster, safer. Um, you know, it's just one of them things. It's hard to, it's really hard to explain it to people. Um, I, I, when you have a love that, that, that is this much and then make sure you're, you know, some people that, that race these bikes and do different things with them. Uh, they have other life there, you know, they do another part of their life for their, I mean, they're going to the beach or they're going to this, but in my case, being my brother, our passion is our motorcycles. That's what I enjoy doing. Um, racing motorcycles. I do. I enjoy going, taking my grandkids out and things like that. When, when it, when it allows me to, and, but this is our passion. So it's a, it's a passion of love where you just can, you just want to learn. You just want to keep getting that knowledge. Um, so I, that's about the best way I can explain it. It's, um, 
you know, it's just something I love. You know, some people love cutting their grass and making their yards beautiful. I love building motorcycles and making them beautiful, you know? You know, I've, I've got an observation slash question here. With these bikes, you're not necessarily riding them. You're wrestling them down the track, aren't you? You have to, you have to drive them um, because they don't all, you want to get them pointed as straight. And I'm one of the few guys that make sure that I'm, you know, I have a guy in front of me and a guy in the back of me and we line, we do, we, like I say, we just follow the, the cars deal. But yes, when it takes off, you got, you know, you got a certain amount of frame flex things that are going to move around a little bit. And then you got the track to be, you know, really good right here. And then 300 foot out, it might just be a little slick or whatever. So sometimes you you have to really drive it for instance if the if the motorcycle is going to the right then you're going to lean your body to the left but you're going to push on the right foot peg you're going to try to load the right side of the tire to make the thing drive back left and it, it, it takes a long time to learn how to do that um and that's what happened. That's why it's just laps. It just makes, takes a lot of laps. And the slower you go on these motorcycles, the harder they are to ride. I can imagine because they're so big. Yeah. So the, 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 the faster you can go, even in towing the bike, you know, towing it to the starting line, the, the, the faster you can go, the easier it is to ride it. Um, you know, and we balance everything. All of our stuff is perfectly balanced from side to side, front to back. You know, we, we check everything. Uh, we try not to leave no stones unturned um, because, and, and, and then you got to have a good crew to make all of this happen. Um, the crew is more major part of, of you, of your success at a race than the driver is um, or rider or whatever. Because uh, the, they have to do their job or you can't get it down the track. And, and then you got to have certain people that do this job. In other words, you got a guy that's going to do the rear wheel and you got a guy that's going to do the clutch and you got a guy that's going to do the supercharger. So everybody's got their own specific job. So you try to minimize no mistakes is what you need. You know, mistakes are not allowed. Oh yeah. Especially nitro racing is a, I like to refer to it. It's a brutal science. Like you have to be very scientific and very precise what you, how you do it. But the application of nitro is just, there's nothing finessy about it. And you have to have that where everybody knows their job. Everybody does their job right. And you can't be lackadaisical because that's how people get hurt around anything nitro powered. Yes, sir. That's you cannot, you cannot get relaxed because just one little thing, just one little mistake can cause one heck of an explosion. Um, and what these car guys do in, in 50 minutes now absolutely just blows my mind. Uh, everybody has to work together and everything has to be perfect. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's amazing to watch them do a, a quick turnaround teardown. It's, it's mind boggling. Well, how fast they, they can do it. You know, in our case, we don't take our engines apart at the track. You know, we basically just change the motor around. We can change a motor quicker than we can take and do the motor, yeah. you know, take her apart. So we just change engines. Um, and, we, you know, we can do an engine change in about 40 minutes. So that's done. So we can, you know, we can make the, you know, we can, we can definitely make the rounds. Uh, sometimes when you get back to the shop, you got a lot of engines to fix, <laughs> but that's <laughs> But I'd rather fix them here at the shop than at the track. Yeah, yeah. I, I it again, it comes back down to the whole uh, precision machining thing. You got to do at times, and you know, with with the nitro cars, it's easy. You know, they'll they'll slap a rack in them. You know, bolt. You know, they got a lot of that stuff pre prepped. But then there's yes. there's the stuff I qualify it as things you can fix at the track, things you should fix at the track, things you don't fix at the track. And there's just some things where you're like, you know what? Let's just, like you said, we'll stick that in the corner of the trailer and we'll fix that when we get home. Exactly. That's exactly. We, we replace things on the bike that we don't even, be honest, we, we don't even look at it at the track. We just put a, we put a brand new one on, we come back home and then inspect because you got so much more time 
and your environment that you're working in is, you know, a hundred times better. Um, you know, you're not, you know, out working in the dust and dirt and, you know, sand blowing, wind blowing. And so you can actually control the environment a little bit and make things, a, you know, a little bit nicer and cleaner and, um, and hope you don't, you know, you can, you can inspect it a lot better at the shop because you have a lot more time. Yeah. 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 That's, there's a time and place for everything. And I've, I've been a part of that deal where there's been times where there's things on a radio car where, or, you know, can we fix that right now? Sure. Let's just put something fresh in. We'll fix that later. You know, let's just not in the mood to tear a torque converter apart. We've got another one there. Let's just get it and we'll, we'll figure out why it failed and what we can salvage later. Exactly. And that's the same. That's exactly the same thing we do. Um, because there's just, there's things that you just can't, you know, I ain't gonna say you can't fix it to track, but some things you probably shouldn't try to fix it to track because sometimes you're putting band-aids on things that could cause another problem. Yes. Um, and that's what we don't like to do. Um, or, or you tear something bad enough that you just, you know, you're looking to be like, let's just salvage off of this what we can and we'll just, you know, someone's going to get a really neat souvenir. The rest of this is just literally aluminum confetti. Exactly. Exactly. Give it to the kids. That's what I try to do. Yeah. Give the spare, give all the parts to the kids. Um, uh, cause we, that's what we got to do right now in our racing is motivate, get some more younger people out here in the sport. Um, and I think in our deal right now, I think drag racing is, is really, um, doing a really good job right now. Um, we're getting a good audience. We're getting more and more people, um, I mean, look at you. Look at the NASCAR people that's you know looking at coming into NHRA and things like that. So, I think we're doing a pretty good job. It looks, it appears to me. I don't know all the inside details of everything, but from the outside looking in, it looks like that uh, um, that they're doing a good job. Um, you know, I'm a big NHRA TV fan, so if I'm at the, not at the races, I got two TVs here at the shop. So no matter where I'm at, I can watch drag racing and. Um, uh, once you get it in your blood, especially nitromethane in your blood, boy, it's hard to get it out. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, look at the, you know, you've been to the, you know, Bader's night under fire, you know, they pack, they put pack more people than they do the national event. It's a dog and pony show and people love it. Oh, it's crazy, man. It's like, uh, it's almost like WWE, you know, he, he really, the show, uh, did you get to go this year? Oh, Oh yeah. Was that awesome? I mean, just, I would go just to hear him give his speech. Okay. Oh, totally. That is the best speech and the most American racetrack. And, and I, cause I love the United States of America. I love my flags and, uh, what he does with that show, um, is absolutely unbelievable. The fireworks are just over the top. Even though we got to, you know, so funny we're talking about that. Um, you know, right before the start of the show, when they did the fireworks and all the, all the confetti went on the racetrack, and they had to go out and redo the racetrack. Yeah, that was a first. Yep. Well, it happened at Reading, and when it was at Reading at the NHRA race. A yes, it weeks did. Ago, it happened there. I went, oh my God, this is, this this is Norwalk all over again, and. That's one of the reasons that we got cut out not to be able to run on Sunday up there was the originally we was going to get to run, but that was a 15 or 20 minute deal to clean that mess up. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, unfortunately, uh, Brittany and them had a, a major, uh, problem with the car, but put a lot of oil down on it. And so that hurt us then. And then the topping on the cake was when, uh, when Wilkerson, um, you know, caught on fire and God bless his soul and burn his stuff up. Um, so it was, um, so we didn't get to run on Sunday. Uh, we got to watch though. <laughs> yeah. We was loaded up early. I can tell you that. So it was, it wasn't so bad, but we really wanted to make a, you know, a run for the Sunday crowd. And, um, uh, but overall we had a great weekend. was glad to be there. So let's talk about performance because I know that earlier this year you went what two sixty eight. 
268, yes, sir. That is something that, like, in comparison, you know, when you really start stacking that up against other vehicles, that's nuts. What's it like to go 268 miles an hour on a motorcycle? Well, it's fun. I can tell you that. It's exciting. And, you know, going that fast is not, isn't as bad as stopping from going that fast. Yeah. The stopping part is, yeah, I would say would be the hardest part. And, and it goes right back to Noah Walker. Night of fire. Uh, my buddy that was racing with me, Dave Bantown, you know, we both went in the sand traps on that run. Um, I barely went in. I just barely stuck the front wheel in, but Dave went all the way. Um, and so it's, um, and it's not that the track, everybody's, well, the track's too short. Well, the track is short, but it's still four tenths of a mile. It's more misleading. You know, look at how it kind of goes over hill. And, you know, you, you look at Reddy and it's got similar to the same deal. Uh, you know, it's got four tenths of a mile. It's got 20 feet more than Norwalk, but then you got 400 feet across the street. And what was happening with me going as fast as we go at Reading, the scoreboards are closer to the finish line than most track scoreboards. And for some reason that was throwing me off and I was shutting off at the thousand feet. And, and still we was running, you know, five seventy nines, um, and at two twenty five, and probably when I shut it off, you know, you know, I was running well over two forty. Um, so we were, you know, and, and the way racers are, we always say, well, if we'd run it all the way through, you go back and you look at your programs and you look at the computer. Well, if it kept up the same G force that you was running when you shut it off, you know, we would have we would have run into sixty at over two sixty. So um, we'll just have to go back and, and do it again because we, we would have loved to got that little 270-mile-an-hour deal. That would have been the icing on the cake for 2022. But, you know, we there's some more races out there for this year. Unfortunately, the, 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 the tracks are never prepared as good as the NHRA stuff. We really love the way they prepare the tracks. Um, some of the motorcycle stuff that we go and race, they prep it. They they got too much glue. You know, they they radial prep the track. Yeah. And and a lot of times that's way too good for us because we can't get the correct wheel speed then. And then we end up chunking tires because when you shut the throttle off at you know 240 50 miles an hour and that thing, you know, it goes from accelerating to decel, it'll just jerk, you know, just jerk a little um, chunks out of the tire. Because it's because of the glue, um, and we love the way NHRA does because they don't. I don't even think they even glue past the thousand foot mark. So that's a really good thing for us. Um, I think I was under understanding that they they glue to about seven or eight hundred feet. So when the cars shut off, they are. That's why I think you're not seeing as much tire problems with the cars um, as we used to because of the glue. You know, they're not. They're not gluing as much as they used to because we don't need that kind of glue. Um, I, I think Dave Grubnick might have proved that when Brittany went 338, right? Yeah. So was that incredible? Whew. <laughs> Just. It, it, again, it, it's the when you see those numbers thrown up, it, it's mind melting. It's sort of like, you know, that old boy over in, in England that went, what? He went over 300 and went four seconds on the quarter mile on that rocket bike. Yeah, he went 497, 290 on a rocket bike. Now, that bike only weighs about 325 pounds. And that's a hydrogen peroxide um, rocket motor. And I don't know if people or the viewers all understand exactly how hydrogen peroxide works. But the way that deal works is you put a certain amount of load of fuel in that thing. And once you pull the trigger on it, you're done until the fuel shuts up and until you run out of fuel. That's what that thing does. It runs out of fuel. There's no shutting it off. So once you pull the trigger, it's hang on, hang on. Um, 
but but still 497 290 and i know him personally eric Tabul. um my hat's off to him incredible that's what i don't want to do no <laughs> okay i'm not going to ride no rocket bike the the way you describe that the first thing that pops in my mind is you know you're doing the calculation for the fuel what if you forget to carry a number <laughs> you know you got a limited amount of space my friend to, to woe that bike down that's exactly right and 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 hydrogen peroxide is highly, highly dangerous. Oh, it's nasty you know, stuff. Yeah, you know, to get on you and and there's different levels. Like, you know, he came over here and run, I can't remember what year it was. I want to say 2013, 2014. He went 526 over here, I think it was. But he didn't mean to go that fast, but the hydrogen peroxide that was over here was actually better than the hydrogen peroxide that he could get in europe well it's a hot load oh lord i'm telling you and he's a hot mess i can tell you he's a he's quite a piece of work the boy that rides that thing but i think and don't hold me to this but i think he's retiring after that run um that's kind of what the rumor mill is uh, i've not seen it in print yet but um i've been told by some pretty close people over in, in England that he said he was retiring. I, I don't think anybody's going to try to jump on that train and take that record that has all their screws tightened up from the factory. Well, I can tell you one person that's not. Larry McBride's not going to drive. <laughs> that's one thing that I'm not going to do is get on a rocket bike. I might do a lot of crazy stuff, but I'm not getting on a rocket bike. Oh, I mean, what, what could go wrong? You're just literally sitting on a chemical reaction that if anything goes askew, you know, you're going to turn into a human pyrotechnic if you're lucky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't even know. And, and they probably, and, and you might know this, but I don't even think something like that's even legal to run an NHRA. Oh, no, not anymore. That's they, They'll look at that and be like, yeah, no, dog, that, that's a hard pass, dog. That ain't happening. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't. Could you imagine what the insurance companies would say? Woo! That, that's one of those things you ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Yes, exactly. The, exactly. The, the, so. the NHRA doesn't even like Scott Palmer's nitro-powered door car. They're really not going to like basically a, a a chemical bomb on two wheels. That's just... No. Yeah. The the, no, ins it, the insurance actuaries' minds would melt on that one. Right. I mean, it's just like the jet cars, you know, being limited. You know, they have to be limited because them guys, there's, they're, they're, how fast can they go? I mean, I mean, they could really go fast. Um, you know, but it, it it's not logical. It's, it's just. Uh, it wouldn't be right for NHRA to even allow it, to be honest with you. No. You know, kind of going off of the whole I don't want to ride that kind of deal, things could go wrong. You know, what are what are some kind of uh, hair-raising, sketchy moments you've experienced on two wheels while piloting a nitro vehicle? Wow. Well, you know, in 2015 uh, at Co. New Jersey, uh, we was doing a show up there, me and Dave Vantine, and we both smoked the tires and I was, I was in and out of the throttle a couple of times, which as we know is not a good thing with nitro. No. Well, I had a major explosion, which burnt me up. I got third degree burns on my leg, on my legs and my butt and side of my other leg. So I got, that was pretty sketchy. Um, so I learned not to do that. Um, if I, but there again, if I'd have had the, the right fireproof stuff on at the same time, I'd have walked away and not got hurt. Um, so we're now we have carbon X in our leathers. And, um, you know, we've got everything that you can make them, you know, you know, we have fireproof socks now and, you know, everything we can do now because we showed ourselves that you can, you know, you can catch on fire on a motorcycle. Okay. It's just, you're not in a cockpit, but you're still around all that fire. And the sad part about it is a lot of that stuff you can't see when you're burning. No. You know, you're just hot. And it, the funny part about this, um, 
this whole story um, was when the, and they had good people there, the fire people, I mean, happened right at the hamlet. I mean, I stopped, literally stopped right at the hamlets in the fire truck. Well, the fire people run right, you know, I got off the motorcycle and got away from it. Well, the fire people run over to put the motorcycle out. Well, I'm still burning. I'm still, how about helping the guy out over here? Yeah. Spray a little of that stuff on me. I need to get put out here. I've got that invisible fire help. <clears throat> yeah, and then and then it was kind of the, the the funny story after that was they said, well, you know, we're going to have to fly you to the burn center. Uh, I said, fly me to. I said, I can ride in the ambulance. I mean, that's not a big problem. I said, I can. No, when you're burnt like that, you uh, uh, we have it's you know it's a state law in New Jersey that we have to fly you to the burn center by helicopter. I said, okay. I said, but I don't think y'all are understanding. They said, what are we not? Doing? I said, I don't think my Obamacare insurance is going to cover this. <laughs> so, so they said, they said, don't worry about it. The state of uh, New Jersey, it's all paid for by the state because this, the state, the helicopters is actually a state troop helicopter. So, so a little different than some of the night flights and stuff that we have here in Virginia where, you know, they're basically visually owned, not owned by the state. Yeah. So I said, shoot, let's fly in the helicopter, man. I'm ready to go. <laughs> if, if I ain't got to worry about nothing, let's go. So, but that was the, that was probably one of the crazier um, things that I had happened to me um, in the last, you know, five or six years now. Um, you know, I had a, a pretty bad accident back in 1991. Um where I came off the motorcycle at Gainesville uh, at 205 miles an hour. Oof. Yeah. So I got to, I got to spend a few days in the, in the Gainesville hospital, getting some, a few little surgeries done, <clears throat> but they got me all fixed up. And um, I came back the following year. Actually, I came back a month later, to be honest with you. And I raced a bike in Atlanta, Georgia. So, um, maybe I probably shouldn't have, cause I still had a lot of, uh, a lot of skin up, but I felt good and I felt comfortable and I didn't feel like I was endangering nobody. And then of course our tech department back then was really, really good. And of course they inspected all my stuff and me and, you know, and they give me the, um, you know, the approval to race. So, uh, but sometimes with racers, as you know, sometimes you have to calm them down because they think they're okay and they're really not. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and I'm one of them people. So sometimes it don't hurt for that person to say, no, you're not, you're, you're not seeing what we're seeing. <laughs> so it's, uh, I had a friend wreck a car and he thought he was good to go until the adrenaline rolled off. And, uh, that's when the broken ankle kicked in amongst the other issues. And, you know, the party stopped at that point. Oh yeah, and that's the problem when you're, you know, the, the adrenaline. Uh, adrenaline is a great thing. I love it. It's a great flow, but it can be a dangerous thing at the same time because I think you're okay. Adrenaline levels that you don't even feel the pain until you start that adrenaline starts calming down, and then you next thing you know what? I think that guy's right over there. I am hurt. I need to go to the doctor. Yeah. Now, one of the th I've seen some videos before. I think it was down in Australia where I've seen dudes get zapped on the bikes by magnetos. Is that ever happened to you, or what? You know, what causes that to happen? Well, it has happened to me um, many, many years ago. But our magnetos were not as hot as they are today. Uh, and the boy you're talking about over there was Chris Matheson. Yeah, that dude went for a bad ride. He went for a bad ride, and. Uh, you know, we also had that happen to a boy. You might remember this boy's name, Corey Hogan. I don't think I he remember. Raced, well, he raced top fuel for a long time, you know, quite a few years. And I believe we was in Valdosta, Georgia, when he, his spark plug wire came off. Ooh. Of course, it got on him, but it came out his hand. Oh, and wow. It literally... literally burnt through his gloves 
his hand on the handle grip. Because um, you're just 44 amps of power, um, you know, going through you. So, I mean, you got to realize some of your older houses ain't got but 50 amp power surges, right? right? And, you know, a lot of houses today, your regular house ain't got but 100. So you're talking about putting 44 amps into you and it's going to come, it's going to find the ground. Once it gets in you, it's coming out somewhere. Electricity takes the path of least resistance, and that's usually through you. Yes, and we do some precautions to keep that from happening to us. Um, uh, you know, for, for spark plug wires not being able to, we don't want them to come off at all. Um, and we run, we use rubber you know still like the car same type of plug wires the car uses but you know you clean them really good and you kind of make them to kind of stick to the plug so they can't blow off you know and then have some kind of retaining strap on them to keep them from getting up to your body i was gonna say put some put some collector tethers on the spark plug wires because that's the last thing you want is the uh the spicy wire uh giving you a little hello when you're trying to go you know 200 plus mile an hour yeah you don't want that to happen that's a uh it's shocking when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember watching the video and it was like, you see someone getting hit with a taser. I mean, dude locked up and he just went off the bike. It was, you know, yep. there was no negotiations in that situation. No, not at all. And I know him very, very well. Good friend. Actually, he bought that particular motorcycle from us. Um, you know, several years ago, he's updated and all that since, you know, since he bought it from us, you know, made, and he's done good, but that kind of set him back some, you know, um, uh, and he's had a few other, you know, over in Australia that, you know, unfortunately their tracks are not quite as long or quite as good as what our U S tracks are. Um, that's why I like running with the NHRA because some of the tracks that some of these promoters want us to go to, and that I get calls to that want me to match brace or do a show or whatever. I can't go do them for simple reason is they're just not, if they don't, if they don't have, if they're not a certain width, like NHRA, they don't have concrete walls. And number one, if they don't have the right EMTs and the paramedic people that we need there, I'm just not going to race there. It's just not worth it. Well, it, bikes and cars are getting too fast anymore for that business, too. I remember watching an old video of John Force racing somewhere. It was, I think it was like the AHRA, some kind of world championship. You know, it looked like, the, looked like they're running Nitro Funny Cars down a dark alley, you know. It's like that, that's terrifying that we used to do stuff like that and think it was okay. Oh, I know. And, and, and now today, you know, everything is um... – They've definitely made things a whole lot better, but back in the day, I mean, you we used to run on tracks with no guardrails. Yeah, <laughs> that still hey, blows me away. Days, you remember them days when tracks didn't have guardrails, and um, you run off the side of the track, didn't you know? I, I crashed in, oh uh, god, Farmington, North Carolina, on a little eight mile track. Didn't have no guardrails, no nothing run off the edge of the track and got into like a water washout. And next thing I know, I was flying over the handlebars, bike flipping, totaled my motorcycle. Um, but that just come from, uh, you know, I guess the time and era that we were running in back then. Um, that's why things are so much safer today. You know, we don't have the openings in the walls. Um, and that's probably was the most dangerous thing that there ever has been was the openings in the walls. And the best thing they've done now is the concrete walls. Yeah. Um, is, is the, the only thing that would be nicer there if they could figure out a way like uh, NASCAR done and make them a soft wall, you know, um, especially if you're driving a pro mod car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the pro mods are just a different level of angry and, it's it's people would have i think a lot more respect for how gnarly those cars are especially at the nhra level because they still race some quarter mile if they if they were at the top end 
when a pro mod got done ripping off a 250 plus mile an hour pass and they watched it and saw that those cars, if they're on a good pass, they're not going straight. They're trying to do everything but go straight. It's insane. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely crazy. The pro mods are, uh, they're, uh, yeah, and I think there again comes from, you know, they don't have as much downforce, right? No. I mean, uh, I mean pro stock car, you know, just a little wiggle and they're in the walls. Yeah. It, they, they get upset and, you know, they, they, I think, you know, in a pro stock versus a pro mod, you have a little bit more time in a pro stalker because they're just not as violently fast to exactly. deal with if the car is losing downforce and not happy and a pro mod by the time you realize something bad is happening it's already too late and you're you're about to go from a driver to a passenger that's exactly what happens and um you know we've uh in the pro mod deal, and then I know you keep up with it, and I keep up with it. Unfortunately, we've lost this year some good people in pro mod, um, and it's just—I um, uh, mean, it's a great sport. I love watching them race, but I ain't gonna drive one of them either. Yeah. So, um, my motorcycle is pretty stable. You know, it's—it's it, it's not all over the racetrack in general. Like a—it's—it's it's usually stuck to the ground pretty good. You ain't gonna say you don't get loose. But I'm telling you, in a pro mod car, they are driving for 1,320 feet to try to keep, like you said, they're not trying to go straight. They're everywhere but straight. And, of course, I love, like I say, I love watching them. So um, I guess that's just a part of the addiction of drag racing. Yeah. It, it's like watching the dudes in the, the XDA and those, those turbo, the pro street bikes. I've been at half track when those guys are – grabbing gears and those things are trying to you know ride up the back tire at half track and i'm like yeah no thanks y'all you guys i will gladly respect you and watch you do that but at that point in the track when a front tire on something that only has two tires decides it doesn't want to you know it wants to lift that's not for me no but i tell you that's so weird how you brought up the pro street bikes because they are unbelievably fast are nuts um and they're running on DOT tires. Yeah. That's what blows my mind. Uh, and, 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 you know, and they're super lightweight. And, you know, them guys are up there. At, I don't even know what kind of boost they're at now, but they're, they're probably 50, 60 pound of boost in these things. And, you know, they're running, you know, 230 miles an hour. And that's, the front half of that chassis is still stock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's again, it's one of those things where if, if you understand it, you have a high level of respect for what it takes to just make a vehicle do that, let alone repeatedly and pretty much safely. Oh yeah. One of my, you know, one of my good friends, uh, you know, and you, I'm sure you've heard of him is uh BME performance, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they got some of the fastest pro street bikes around. And of course, then you, I can't think of the boy's name in North Carolina, but uh, I, all of them guys are just, um, whew. different level of crazy, right? Different. They're, they're different level. I'm telling you, even with me on them, you know, I'm a tall guy, so it would be kind of hard for me to ride one. But then you look at Jason Dunnigan, this blind, I mean, he's about my same height, but it's just all and what you want to do and how you want to do it. And, and to watch them guys go out there and go 230 miles an hour on DOT tires. Yeah. Well, I'd rather have tires just made for what I'm doing. Exactly. Now, Larry, I always like to throw a fun question at my guests, you know, before we round things up here. And you said you wouldn't drive a pro mod, but if you weren't going to, you know, ride a bike, what else would you try to drive? You know, what would it be a nitro car, a pro stock, or what would you want to try to wheel? What, what would just if make I was you go anything crazy? else, a top fuel car. Okay. I would love to do that. Um, um, I think I could do better than Travis did. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had some struggles there, right? Yeah, but it was because he'd just never been in anything like that and never been around it. So I've always been around it. 
So I would, I've always wanted to drive a top fuel car. We had the, we had the opportunity and for several years, we got to keep, uh, Alan Johnson's car here at the shop when they was on the East coast. Um, that not only was it Blaine, you know, Travers car, but the Winston car. And, um, so we, we've learned how everything worked on the car. So yeah, well, I, I'd love to do that. I mean, I would, um, that's what I'd like to do would be my adventure would be to drive a top fuel car. I don't want to even want to drive a funny car. I'd rather drive a top fuel car. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I think they're a little more forgiving than a funny car. F- f- funny cars are pretty much just a, uh, a slightly more angry pro mod based on the way that the, the drivers talk about what those things like to drive. Yeah. They're, and, and they got a little bit more down for, so it makes them a little bit better, but they're still hard to drive. Yeah. They, they dance around quite a bit. And again, it's one of those things where it's uh when a funny car decides it wants to do its own deal, it, it happens quickly and violently. Well, you and I sometimes get to see a different view of what the, uh, some of the fans get to see from the stands. They're not looking from behind sometimes and seeing they, that car looks like it's going straight but it's really not. No, they, you haven't quite lived until you've been shooting top end shots and you see a funny car literally move probably about six feet to the left and like the blink of an eye for no apparent reason. Right. Just drop a cylinder down there and it'll just go, it'll just dart one, one way or another. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you have to be a combination of lucky and good to catch it from it turning into a really bad situation. That's exactly right. And a lot of experience because, you know, most all of your right now, I mean, we've got a lot of good guys in top fuel and funny car. I mean, um, a lot of good drivers not and good drivers in pro mod and pro and, and pro stock. And, you know, it just goes on and on. Um, uh, I'll tell you another car that's um, that looks to me like it's a handful is the uh, the factory stock cars. Oh, you know. Totally. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good friends with Mark Powick, and he says them things can be a handful. Oh, yeah. You're talking something that weighs over three thousand pounds on a nine inch wide tire that's making almost, you know, we'll we'll say a an average of fifteen hundred horsepower, and that's a uh, when that big girl decides she wants to start dancing at the top end. You uh, you best be ready because that could turn out bad in a hurry. Oh, absolutely. So I, uh, you know, and that's one I love watching them classes. And as you know, you know, Mark Powick was an excellent pro stock car driver. Oh yeah. And for him to say that these things are a handful or can be a handful. I mean, I, I got to go with Mark. I mean, he's the one with the experience, right? Oh yeah, totally. So full size door cars trying to go really fast when they're heavy. It's, it's a, uh, it's definitely a handful to try to get those things down the track. And I always, you know, I get a lot of the car guys, man, you know, Mark Powers, one of the one and, 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 uh, uh, Tarns, man, you're goddamn, you're crazy. You know, Robert, like, man, you're crazy. That's crazy. Y'all are strapping y'all self in a bomb. Yeah. I can, At least strapping myself in a bomb. I'm, <laughs> I can exit the bomb if needed. I, I can get away from that bomb if I need to. <laughs> yeah. You, you you have some form of a either front row seat to a, a potential high energy disassembly and that's a that's not for everybody no no it's um, um but in drag race i got respect for all of them guys you know in, in every class and it's a different type of respect for different people i mean um same thing with a fuel cars and things and i tell you what i'm looking for next year look forward to next year seeing is these eight fuel funny cars yeah that's gonna be wild that is going to be wild that's uh, going to be very interesting to see how people start to try to get a handle on those things and making them well, do what they want them to do yes it's going to be exciting um we'll see i hope it's good for the class so we'll we'll see um it's still going to be a handful <laughs> It's going to be a handful, but to me, nothing. There's no better sound than a uh, screw blown Hemi screaming at the top of its lungs. That's still my favorite sound. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, barring none. I'll, I'll, I'll have to go along and agree with every word you just said there. So, well, Larry, our time here is coming to an end, and I'd like to give my uh, guests their opportunity to kind of, you know, 
channel their inner John Force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where they can learn more about their program. So the uh, the floor is yours, my friend. You can tell people uh, where they can learn about your program and thank all your sponsors and do what you got to do, my friend. Yes, sir. Well, they can uh, they can actually go to uh, uh, Larry at LarryMcBride.com or go to CycleDrag.com. Uh, CycleDrag has a lot of stuff about me. Uh, they cover everything 100%. And, of course, Pingle Enterprise, Trimtex Engineering, Bill Miller Engineering, Vance and Hines, American Performance Engineering, Redline Oil, all these guys have been with Larry for forever. Cometic Gaskets, uh, you know, Champion Spark Plug, people like that that's, that's helped me uh, through my career. We could not do it without that. And and Drag Specialties, they've been with me. Now I've got Steve Torrance Racing is, you know, is, is helping us out these days when we go to the NHRA racing. Uh, Webcam Chef, Kibble White, we have a, a ton of sponsors, and I try to tell everybody this. To get sponsors, you go to the races, you present yourself well. And you present and you handle yourself well. You got to present and carry your sponsors well because you're representing them. And some people forget that you're not there just for yourself. You're there because you're you're there because your sponsors have allowed you to be there. And so you have to respect them and you have to present yourself well. One hundred percent, the truth right there. And and then that's what we try to do here at Larry McBride Racing is. Uh, carry yourself well and uh, speak highly and spend all the time in the world you can with the kids and the autism children that we have that come to the drag races. Uh, that's one of my big deals is uh, to try to take care of all them kids and that's, that's less fortunate than us um, to help them and show them that uh, us drag racers are there for them. And we, you know, I don't have no big ego, man. And my, I, I run an open pit. Uh, I'll let fans come in and I know there's a time there's a point in time when you can't do that when you're working, but when we're not working, we try to bring the kids in and show them a good time. So we'll, so we can get them back to the races. Um, so that's what we do here at Larry McBride racing. Well, Larry, appreciate everything you do. And, uh, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, we'll see you at the track soon, my friend. I, I look forward to it, man. And thank you for the call and, uh, enjoyed the show.